welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Tude. Hello, hello. <laughs> it's uh, the Album Nerds Podcast. I'm Dude. I got Andy and Don with me. How are you chaps doing today? You ready to talk about some records? Hi, good day, governor. Cheerio. <laughs> wow. To you both. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let the terrible accents begin. Yeah. Buckle in, folks. How about you, Dolan? How are you? Yeah, that sucked. Yeah. I'm not I'm gonna actually not do it. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> That's I unusual. To the British people. <laughs> I assumed yeah. you were gonna start singing or yeah. might save that for the end. Cool, cool, cool. All right, so as we stated, this is the Album Nerds Podcast, and uh, we'll be talking about three albums today. We'll be answering a question, and we'll uh, spin the wheel of musical destiny at the end of the show to find out what kind of albums we're going to talk about next time. Last week, I nominated Alicia Keys' Songs in A Minor. Visit us on albumnerds.com slash discord or albumnerds.com to vote, because two of us said yes and one of us said no. So we need you listeners to chime in and make sure that that album makes it to the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Yeah, don't let Andy keep four women out of the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, I know. Real misogynist, man. Oh, my gosh. Musical misogynist. <laughs> Although, you know, he's he brought the Tori Amos. Oh, that's right. Uh, so. Oh, yeah. Details. All right. <laughs> so this week... We're talking about the British invasion. That's why the terrible accents. That's what I'm talking about. The British invasion was a phenomenon of the mid-1960s when rock and pop music acts from the United Kingdom became popular in the United States. Uh, at the forefront of the invasion were groups such as the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Zombies, the Kinks, Small Faces, the Dave Clark Five, Herman's Hermits, the Hollies, the Animals, Jerry and the Pacemakers, the Searchers, the Yardbirds, the Who, <laughs> uh, Them, uh, and there's wow. there's more. <laughs> um, and, wow. Yeah. Uh, you also have uh, some solo artists, uh, including some females, Dusty Springfield, uh, Scylla Black, Petula Clark, Tom Jones, even you know, you Donovan. Go. So yeah, so we, we had lots to choose from. Uh, so today, each each of us will present an album from a, a British invasion artist uh, that was released in the 1960s. Yeah, the British invasion here in, uh, here in America, at least when I was a kid, that was something that even came up in history class. Yeah. You know, like it, it's beyond just popular music. It's, it's cultural phenomenon. And I think we often lose sight of that giant list that, that Don dropped with the in almost every name of band. <laughs> yes. And we focus on the Beatles and maybe the Rolling Stones. And for the most part, a lot of the rest is sort of just classic rock oldies music mm -hmm. so that was that's uh that's what i walked into this thing thinking about uh what about you guys yeah i mean it's hard to avoid the beatles monolith kind of in the middle of this whole thing but uh there's some other cool music too and i kind of almost forgot like how much the psychedelic sound was saturated into all these albums here and also blues rock is a big a big part of what was going on back then so those are pretty awesome in my book I, you know i Messed around with some records from uh, Small Faces, kind of an interesting group, and uh, Searchers, Animals, the Kinks. Yeah, lots of those back then. I feel like we moved away from that in the 2000s, thankfully. <laughs> but. Yeah, I was um, 
you know, I grew up, my parents would have oldies radio on a lot. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize until, you know, much later how many of those artists were actually English, you know, because mm -hmm. a lot of them, you know, don't, don't sound that way. You know, a lot of these groups, you know, they moved on to, to bigger things. You know, they became more than just this sort of British, uh, novelty thing. I mean, obviously, you know, groups like the, the Beatles and, uh, the Rolling Stones went on and, you know, did great things. Uh, anyway, I, I kind of lost my thought. There. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, why don't we, uh, why don't we get to the albums then? You choo choo choose me? Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. Guess what? I'm going first, and I picked the Beatles. <laughs> Jealous. So, the Beatles, English rock band, formed in Liverpool in 1960. John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Ringo Starr, influential, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> picked the album Revolver from uh, 1966 as they started to kind of shift their shape a little bit as a band. So why don't we check out a bit from the opening cut, Taxman. So Taxman, the opening cut from this album released the 5th of August, 1966. George Harrison, the lead on that one. This was their first song where it's kind of about a topic that wasn't holding hands or girls or love or dancing. And that's that and some of the sonic uh, decisions they make are how why this album is considered sort of a revolution among their catalog and sort of the catalyst for Sgt. Pepper and all the other stuff after. The three words I chose to describe this album were creative musical metamorphosis. They were devoting more time in the studio. Their uh, producer, George Martin, had pretty much set up a, a system where they could just work in the studio as long as they wanted. It was no longer under the gun. And uh, it shows. There's a lot of experimentation here. Fellas, what do we think about Revolver? Uh, the, the three words I chose to describe the album are progressive pop perfection. So it got some alliteration there. I mean, I, I just love the Beatles and I, I, I love all their records. Uh, and this one is, you know, definitely near the, the top for me. You know, depending on my, I mood, it, it, you know, moves up or, or down on the list. What's great about this record, I think, is that it's, it strikes a balance between accessible pop and, you know, innovation. Um, so, I mean, you know, much is said about this, the, the studio techniques that they were, that they were doing, you know, reversing guitar and speeding things up and, and slowing things down and multi-tracking and using loops and all that stuff. Um, so it's, it's extremely innovative. The songs are still great. So it's not just a, a work of, of, you know, studio wonder. It's, you know, they're still just, just great songs. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, a fantastic album. Well, they, uh, they broke big in 63 and, and then came to America in 64. This is only 1966, big difference. Um, but they, they took three months off preparing to record this, which was the biggest break they had had since they started being Beatlemaniacs. Uh, Andy, what did you think? My three words are too good not to like. I think that's like five words. <laughs> Put some numbers in there so those aren't full words. 
Now, I'm not like a huge Beatles fan, though, but I think doing this show here has been slowly wearing me down over the years and just convincing me of their greatness. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's what these podcasts are for. It's supposed to be for the listeners, not not the hosts, but uh, hey, I'll take it. No, dude is subconsciously browbeating me here with the Beatles over the last three years. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, these songs are, it's, you know, like I said, they're very mature. They're very distinctive in terms of each one's very unique in its ideas and its sounds. There's like a lot going on on every track. And it's just, you know, we listen to some other great records in this time period, but these guys are just so on point. They really seem kind of head and shoulders above everything else that's going on at the time. I mean, like the opening cut there, Tax Man just kicks butt, man. It's like a nice upbeat rock song. And it's, really just moves along and interesting topic and you know there's some cool experimental sounds here you kind of hear like that eastern influence starting to creep into their music and some of that spirituality starting to shine through that they would get into on later records but yeah it's kind of a cool smattering it's kind of a beatles smorgasbord of sounds and personalities mixed together here that yeah it's uh it's undeniably great you know, I don't know how this evolution happens. I mean, you know, they're ba- they were basically a boy band in many ways to start just all about people going nuts for them and dressing like them. And they somehow shifted into and were accepted as poetic artists delivering more than, yeah. you know, so, you know... Uh, New Kids on the Block was unable to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. If you hear the later discography, they're, they're pretty spiritual, man. Yeah, the, the, the song Dirty Dog from 1994 is pretty deep. But wow. um, <laughs> <laughs> why don't we listen to one of the songs that's more traditional in terms of its subject matter for the Beatles, here, there, and everywhere, but sonically, they stepped it up. I need my So more about the impact of somebody in your life that you love as opposed to I have a crush on you type of stuff, you know? Yeah, a little deeper. That is one of my parents' wedding songs. So although Uh I love it, it also, as a child, it horrified me because every year at their anniversary, they'd put it on and slow dance in the living room and stuff (laughs) and it grossed me out. (laughs) Uh, I think John Lennon used to describe some Paul McCartney songs as like granny music. Um, and, and, and I, I, I can see that. And sometimes when I'm listening to a Beatles record, you know, you're, you're coming out of like a, you know, kind of an interesting John track. And all of a sudden it's, it's Paul, you know, doing something, you know, kind of silly. And, but then, so I'm like, ah, Paul, I don't think so. And then like 10 seconds into it, I'm like, yeah, this is, this guy's amazing. Well, I think initially when I was into the Beatles, I was more like a John guy just because he was the, you know, the innovator and, I don't know. It just seemed like the more creative type, but I, I've come to really respect Paul's abilities. You know, he's just a like just a naturally gifted person. I, I, I think, and I, I feel like he could just crank tunes out of his out of his butt. Oh, and, wow! <laughs> yeah, we all can. It's called farting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've also heard that he's actually probably the most natural musician uh, of the group. Like the the reason he he played bass was because he was the only one that could really you know keep time. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I I, I get that. Um, I'm probably a George guy as I've gotten older in terms of like I love his compositions. I wish there was more of it yeah. on 
this album features a, a, a couple that are gr- some of the highlights of the album, including Taxman and uh, Love You Too. And what's the other one? I Want to Tell You. Yep. Yep. That is correct. So I think this album, they, uh, as we kind of talked about, it bridges that gap between the She Loves You, Yeah, 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 and Sgt. Pepper and Abbey Road and all that. This next track in particular is sort of the moment where it's like, they're going to get weird. And I love it. It's called Tomorrow Never Knows. I mean, I hear this and I just think of like a bunch of dudes that look like Austin Powers and a bunch of ladies in miniskirts and go-go boots freaking out with uh, yeah, right? with lava lamps and psychedelic sounds. I mean, what a switch in three years. Yeah. yeah. And you, you can, if you listen to all the, the Beatles records in a row, you know, you really, you hear the evolution, you know, because you go help to, to, to Rubber Soul and then to Revolver and then Sergeant Peppers. And it's, it, it's amazing, like, like you said, that so little time passed, you know, from the, the beginning to, to the end. Yeah. I know they did so much in such a short period. It just blows me away because bands like that nowadays, take decades to put out this type of material um, well this was their seventh album like a few years not, yeah. yeah um just a quick footnote in october of this year 2022 a re-release of revolver with remasters a stereo remaster i think it's great I love the sound of it. It's so full compared to like the mono in particular. I, I did a playlist where I'd had each version of each song back to back. Oh, cool. Every time one of the new mixes came on, I was like, yes, <laughs> you can hear Ringo's drums. You, I mean, they didn't add things, but they enhanced the stuff that was there. Like, uh, you know, cleaning up uh, the Mona Lisa when, when it's looking dingy. And uh, I don't know how I always feel about this approach, but... For me, for that partic- this particular album, it's a beautiful way to listen to it. And Your Bird Can Sing really stood out to me. I've always loved that song. I love just like that gr- grungy, filthy sounding like guitar riff. And it really like stood out this time. And I, I don't know if it was because of the, you know, the remastering. God, I, I love that track. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a loser on this thing. It's a great record. Ain't Huff Alert. Album Nerds Hall of Fame nomination incoming. I'm nominating this for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Yes, gentlemen, what'd you think? Yes. <laughs> you want to debate it some more? No. This is a shoe-in, in my opinion. You can just put the whole discography in right now if you want to. Just get it out of the way. Not the whole discography. I wouldn't put Yellow Submarine in there. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the Album Nerds Hall of Fame, Revolver. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. All right, dudes, let's ask ourselves a question. Harkening back to our last conversation about the Beatles, uh, reissues, remasters have become the norm of a lot of the biggest albums of all time. What are your thoughts and feelings on these type of releases? I want to know. What you're thinking? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a mixed bag. I think it's, it's, it is good to kind of as you were saying about kind of restoring some of these older recordings that maybe weren't done in the highest fidelity, or at least mastered in the highest fidelity. Yeah, I'm mean, all down for that. But what I don't love, at least, and this is probably more a symptom of the streaming services, is like being able to access the original uh, track listing is right. very important to me. Yeah. If I have to go mess about, create my own 
track listing because it's not available. I feel like that's a huge miss and it's so easy to correct. Like, I don't know why that happens. <laughs> Are they just out of server space at Spotify or something? Come on. Yeah, it does require too much homework now because I'll go to Wikipedia to find the original track listing and then, then I have to compare that to what, what I'm finding in, in title. So you're right, that is annoying. Yeah, just from a historical standpoint, it feels like we're just destroying history for some reason. I don't know. And that's the, you know, I, I think there, again, there's like a balance where, you know, these things are artifacts of their time. And so you want that to be preserved. But, but then again, you know, you also want them to be, you know, the best that they can be. And so some of the limitations of, you know, albums from the fifties and sixties, you know, are, you know, because we just didn't have the, the technology, you know, to, to really, you know, capture those sounds. So, so I appreciate it, you know, when it's done in a respectful way. I mean, the definitive versions are physical copies, but that won't always be the standard. Someday, yeah, it's begun. Vinyl, blah blah blah, <clears throat> will probably be forgotten, and there'll be some chip implant in your brain or something. And what will be? What music will be there? How will it be? That's what worries me. With the, if the streaming services are the future, then they need to do a better job yeah. of consistently. Sometimes I'll look at an album and it'll say other versions and I can go to the original 1979 version instead of the 2020 remix with uh, like, it's, it's not so much the sound. If they've improved the sound, it's the, the annoying extra tracks that I don't yeah. know weren't yeah, part yeah. of the original vision. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to so. ask you guys about that. So like that Beatles record has like an extra couple discs of just alternate versions and takes and stuff like that. Do you guys like that? material or no i mean once or twice for curiosity or because it's it's cool but i want to hear the album song one to song 12 or whatever and if i want the extra stuff i don't want it to be foisted on me yeah so what do y'all uh what all you people out there think what do you think about these remasters reissues how uh uh, streaming services handle it what's your solution (laughs) albumnerds.com slash discord That was the zombies coming in at number one. <laughs> well done. With <laughs> so yes, I my uh, choice from the uh, a British invasion artist is uh, the zombies uh, with an album called uh, Odyssey and Oracle. Odyssey is actually misspelled. Um, that was a mistake. It, uh, it, on the album, it's O D E S S E Y. But yeah, Odyssey and Oracle released uh, in April 1968, although it was actually uh, recorded in 1967. Well, everybody knows the the one track, uh, Time of the Season, was a big hit actually a couple years later. But you know, one of my favorite parts uh, of it has just been these these instrumental sections, kind of highlighted by uh, uh, Rod Argent's organ. So uh, yeah, here's a here's a part of uh, Time of the Season. Yeah, so uh, you know, time of the season actually became a hit uh, about two years later. You know, after the after the band had had split up, uh, the band actually split up uh, right after uh, this album was recorded, and it was pretty much a, a stiff, right? It was a, a un- commercially unsuccessful uh, album. It actually came to my attention uh, in a book called The Rock Snobs Dictionary. Uh, in in it, they've had like a list of like I don't know if they were called like lost gems or hidden gems or, or something like that. And yeah, so, you know, a few years ago, I, I started listening to this record and uh, I was, you know, you know quite Im- impressed by it. 
the three words I, I use to describe it are challenging the Beatles. Um, so, I mean, in my mind, the, you know, the Beatles are the, uh, you know, the, the kings of, uh, of this era and of, of British rock. But, you know, I think this album, you know, does a good job of, you know, getting to that point, you know, getting to, you know, creating an album, you know, that's, that has great balance, that's, that's good all the way through, that, that's innovative. So they're not the Beatles, but it, it maybe belongs in the, in the same conversation. Anyway, what do you, what do you guys think of this Zombies record? I think you're crazy, man. <laughs> Good as the Beatles? I don't know. But uh, I, did, I did really enjoy it. My three words are psychedelic pop gem. It's familiar with the single. Obviously loved that growing up. It took me a little while to get into this sort of like pop arrangements to these songs. But like you said, every track is really solid. And uh, I think it flows really nicely from the beginning to the end. There are lots of cool kind of like sexy haziness to the to the production and I guess then and just the vocal style, which I found really kind of atmospheric and, and interesting. It does really feel like saturated in that psychedelic elements, I guess you'd say. Yeah, keyboards freaking rock. Or I guess it's an organ sometimes. Yeah. A lot lots of like. I, I, I would I would classify it as like kind of an overlooked uh, masterpiece. Not the Beatles though. Come on. <laughs> yeah, so uh these guys were makers of a hit record visitors from the east oops hold on girls not those mop tops haha <laughs> no i'm talking about the zombies yeah <laughs> i stole that from that thing you do this is surprisingly good i know this song and that's it that's all i knew before listening to the record uh the three words i used to describe this album were complex surprising infection because the zombies ate my brain <laughs> and I'm happy about it. I'm infected. And I now. liked it. The organ stuff, as you guys mentioned, awesome. The vocals, I really like that dude's voice. I like how it's kind of smoky and aloof. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a good word. Even uh, it, like care of cell forty four. I don't know what it means, but I think you know it's about prison. But I don't know who specifically. It starts off just strong like i'm in i'm i'm in from the beginning uh hung up on a dream butcher's tale time of the season of course i mean there's great songs on here and the fact that i think they knew they were this was going to be their last record because they hadn't beetled i think that's part of why it's good i think they just did what they they made the record they wanted to instead of trying to be something that would hit and it's it's great yeah, so this was their their second album. Um, the band was formed in uh, St. Albans, England in the early 1960s. The Zombies uh, at this time were made up of songwriter and keyboardist Rod Argent. Uh, he actually went on to, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the band Argent. They had that song, Hold Your Head Up. Uh, so there's Rod Argent, uh, another songwriter in the band, uh, bassist Chris White. They pretty much split the, the songwriting duties uh, on this album. Uh, and then the vocalist, is, as Dude mentioned, Colin uh, Blundstone. Mm, strong name. Sounds handsome. And then there's guitarist Paul Atkinson and drummer uh, Hugh Grundy. Uh, you had mentioned Care of Cell 44. Yeah, it sounds to me like it's uh, uh, a guy writing to a woman who's incarcerated. <laughs> Which is which is pretty interesting, yeah. Some you know kind of hidden, surprisingly interesting lyrics mixed throughout the album. Let's play uh, one of the songs written by uh, Chris White, the bassist. This is called "This Will Be Our Year." Don't let go of my hand now. The darkness has gone. This will be our year. Took a long time to come. Hmm. Yeah, one of the more beatly tracks on there. 
So I've noticed since I started listening to this album, all of a sudden I hear this song in places. I heard it in an episode of Mad Men, and I heard it in an episode of the the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So yeah, so you know these songs are, are living out there. They're somewhere. So you know that's a you know very pop track, but they they do have a, a couple of more psychedelic moments uh, on the record. One track called Butcher's Tale, Western Front, 1914, is an anti-war song, you know, kind of depicting a. Uh, a, a battle that that happened during uh, World War One. Why don't we hear a few seconds of that? Yeah, so there's a you know more psychedelic track, also written by by Chris White. Uh, Chris White is actually handling the the vocals uh, on that one. But yeah, you know, I mean, this, this is just a, a really good album. You know, it's hooky. You know, songs like Brief Candles, you know, just have a, you know, really, you know, catchy chorus. You know, you've got a mix of, you know, some little psychedelic moments. But, you know, as, as Dude alluded to, you know, it just, there's a lot of earworms in, in here. You know, it just, that these tracks, even like the, you know, that, that really psychedelic one um, changes. Like, I've got, I knew her before. You know, like, it's just been in my head all week. I think it's from the film of Mighty Wind. The guy says, it's the kind of infectious that's good to spread around. Um, and this is, <laughs> this is kind of, kind of like that. I like the idea that you've got, you know, two, two songwriters. You know, again, I guess my theme for the day is balance, you know, kind of providing a, a balance for the, the record. Yeah. That, uh, that track friends of mine where they're listing out the names of happy couples and they want to be like that. That reminded me of sort of like, when I grow up to be a man mm. by the Beach Boys, when they're listing out the different ages as they grow up, uh, had that, there was definitely some Brian Wilson influence. I think maybe the zombies were involved in the uh, creative battle between the Beatles, who had influence of the Beach Boys on Revolver, and the Beach Boys, who had Beatles on Pet Sounds. And I think the zombies were involved. Yeah. I just don't know if the Beatles and the Beach Boys were aware of it, yeah. but they were in there. <laughs> yeah, I definitely hear Beach Boys, you know, throughout the the record. You know, the the harmonies you know, are more reminiscent of of the Beach Boys, I think, than the uh, than the Beatles. Yeah, it was just kind of blows me away how something that seems, in hindsight, to be such a solid, you know, arguably great record gets like totally. Like I think in the UK, this performs terribly, right? And it wasn't for a couple of years in the US where it started to catch on. Just like, yep. thank God somebody, some record exec found this and put it on the map. It's so weird. One funny thing I read was, you know, because this band was was pretty much like anonymous. There were acts calling themselves the zombies going out yeah, and touring with this material. Right. I guess that happened to the, the animals, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, um, okay, well, I'm going to be bold. I'm nervous doing this, especially after talking about the Beatles record. But I'm going to I'm going to nominate this for the Album Nerds Hall of Fame. Ain't half alert. Album Nerds Hall of Fame nomination incoming. Yeah, one thing I'll, I'll definitely say for it is that it is, you know, maybe the the epitome of like a, a hidden classic or something, you know, something we go back and, you know, find the value in later. And so I, I think maybe just for that reason alone, you know, it, it deserves a, a place in the uh, in the Ainhoffs. What do you guys think? So, yeah, I mean, the spirit of the Album Nerds and the Album Nerds Hall of Fame is not only celebrating what we love, but discovering new things to love, even if they're from decades ago. This album is awesome and trailblazing to a certain degree, and there's confidence in it, and I say yes. Well, internal deliberation here. I'm going to go... Here we go. You haven't voted against the man yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, since there's no women in this group... Uh... 
No, I think I will. I think I will let this one squeeze in. I did really Whoa. kind of love it, and like you said, it is kind of that hidden gem, and I think it is worth maybe holding it up and shining some light on it. So, welcome to the Ain't Half Zombies. Yeah, so that was the Zombies with Odyssey and Oracle from April 1968. And now a word from our sponsor, us. This is friendship, pure unadulterated friendship. Oh, yeah. Are you a music fan? Love the album format? Want to share your tastes? Join the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord to talk with like-minded nerds, suggest topics for the show, and to find out what's happening next. Welcome, and now it is time for birdmerizing, yardmerizing, in fact, most blues-wearing yardbirds. Right, for my British and Brazen selection here, we're going with the Yardbirds and their 1966 album Roger the Engineer. We are going to play the second cut. This is Over, Under, Sideways, Down. Alright, this is the fourth U.S. studio album for the Yardbirds, uh, who hail from London, England. Probably the most noteworthy thing about this group is that they kind of brought to prominence three pretty noteworthy guitarists. Uh, we got Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page and Jeff Beck are all part of the group at one point. Jeff Beck is kind of at the helm on this record here. Their discography is a freaking disaster. They had only <laughs> two releases in the UK. In the US, they had a few live albums come out before this. Um, some mixed albums that were half original, half live recordings. But this is like, I would say, their strongest proper album album. Uh, my three words for describing it are Jeff, the guitar wizard. I think he really holds things down really impressive fashion. Uh, his playing is just incredible. Guys, what did you think of Roger the Engineer? The three words I used to describe this album would be messy blues guitar. As Andy alluded to, it's kind of a mess. I mean, the album feels more like a musical collective just kind of jamming than it does an album and i think it was more of a boot camp for british blues rock guitarists than a functioning band right there's great music i mean very enjoyable music including this album which i think the title is lazy because it's about the engineer of the album it's not even about like a train engineer or something a little more interesting <laughs> yeah, i was hoping there was like more to the story but <laughs> i think you know like in england i, I think roger is also the f word so right, right. so is it f the engineer I, i'm not sure but uh, <laughs> yeah the, the drawing of him is is kind of uh i would say f and m i would say he needs a good rogering those big ears so it's kind of hard to focus on any particular tracks that i really liked the overall feel is fun to listen to but there's not i don't have like favorite tracks where i am singing along it's an odd thing, especially a band of this time and a, a known band, a band that performed on TV shows and whatnot. But yeah, it was just a musical collective honing their craft. And that's kind of cool too. You know, a very different approach from the Beatles and the Zombies and, and all the other bands. Yeah, the, the three words I, I chose were the Brits stole the blues. <laughs> if you don't count the thes, I think that's three words. You know, these, these British invasion bands were 
I mean, they were obviously listening to, to all those, you know, those, uh, blues rock albums in the, in the 1950s, you know, people like, you know, Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry and stuff. You know, it's interesting because I, I think at the time in the United States, you know, there were other things going on. And so like the American music at the time was not, uh, as blues based as, as what the, what the Brits were doing. This album is, uh, yeah, it's, it's much bluesier than, than the other two records we listened to. This album stood out to me, you know, after listening to the other two records, which are, kind of these polished finished products and uh, as you guys kind of talked about this is just uh, uh just just some guys playing music jamming and i think that's the the charm of it you know because i it is you know almost like you're just sitting in a room and and people are playing the blues and sometimes there's these these magical moments so yeah while it's not like one cohesive work i i still think it's a uh, it's a good album. Look at what this spawned, right? I mean, so we talked about the guitarists like Eric Clapton. He went on to become the blues rock. He led that charge with with his solo stuff and and with Cream and and other multiple Derek and the Dominoes, all the super group things that went on. But this, you know, we talked about ten years after a while back. Then Jimi Hendrix had come in, and and then the blues rock really took off. This these were the seeds. These were the guys that were making that possible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think the reason I picked it mostly was just because I, I feel like Jeff Beck is so overlooked in terms of those great guitarists like Clapton and and Hendrix. And I think he's in terms of talent. Maybe he never got the notoriety, but he is right up there in my opinion in terms of just pure emotion he delivers through the guitar. I think it's just incredible. Vocally, there's not a lot amazing going on here. <laughs> so uh, the lead singer, who is Keith Ralph, one of the, the founding members and one of the only consistent members of the band throughout its, its lifetime. Uh, the only other consistent member is Jim McCarty, who plays drums and percussions. Everybody else is kind of a rotating you know, lineup here throughout the years. Why don't we play a little bit of the guitar solo from... The Jeff Beck track, The Naz Are Blue. Yeah, just goes on for another minute or two there. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty great. But those are the best moments on, on the album, yeah. and that's kind of what you're in for here. And, you know, in the context of British Invasion, it's not what you think about when you think about that, which is kind of what's cool about bringing this one to the table, Andy, is this reminder that these were bands in evolution, all types of different bands lumped into one thing that didn't really define them. Yeah. It was just the fact that they came from Britain. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, there are some psychedelic moments on the record. There are some like more maybe experimental things that happen throughout. There's a track called Hot House of something or other. <laughs> Omegasharin, perhaps, uh, which is more of an ambient kind of experimental sound and kind of like what the Beatles were doing there towards this point of their career. Not quite at that level, but sort of in that vein of studio wizardry going on. I think that I found kind of interesting about this record is, and this ties more into like the hippie movement at the time, just kind of like this really viewing money as like a, an evil thing and like kind of promoting like a lifestyle that's not centered around money. There's a few tracks that really lyrically focus on that. Um, why don't we play a little bit of the final cut called Ever Since the World Began. Yeah, it's probably like the strongest statement in terms of... (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks, Spinal Tap. Yeah, so I think that's probably their strongest statement in terms of like the countercultural revolution that was happening. It's a it's a cool record. I, I wouldn't hold it up there with the other two we talked about today in terms of overall quality. But the Yardbirds in general, I think they put on some really interesting material. It's too bad they didn't really focus it all in the studio like some of these other bands had. But if you listen to like their live albums, like Five Five Live Birds, something like that, I think it's called. Their debut record is excellent. Um, there's also a record called rave up with the Yardbirds or something like that. It's also very good. Yeah, they probably are more just, you know, they're a band you want to see live, you know, because I yeah. imagine they were just, you know, amazing. That was the impression I got too, yeah. I wonder what would have happened if they ended up with a producer, you know, like a George Martin or something. I almost wonder if they probably wouldn't even go along with it, maybe. I don't think I would have, I don't, I, I just, I can't picture these Yardbirds uh, getting caged. No, they're in the yard. Yeah, I don't know. I think I like, go back to what you said, dude, earlier about how they were kind of like an experimental project almost, where people just kind of come in and out and work some things out, and then would go on to their own their own careers. And I think that's kind of how they worked best. They went around for very long in the '60s. They did have a reunion in the '90s with some of the original members and did some touring and whatnot. But kind of just a shot or a flash in the pan uh, in the late '60s here. The new Yardbirds were almost formed by Jimmy Page, but then they decided to go with a different name, Led Zeppelin. <laughs> oh, yeah, them. All right, so that is the Yardbirds, Roger the Engineer. Check it out. Let the learning begin. So, British Invasion. We know where we started. How did we end, guys? What do you think about this whole concept and the music that came from it? And one thing that struck me is how much from American culture these artists are pulling, like especially with this, this blues sound we talked about, or even like how some of these records maybe didn't do super well in the UK, but did really well in the US. And I'm sure once record producers realized that, they were kind of like tailoring the sound. We're listening back to that, the Animals debut record. It's all about like, you know, life in Southern, in the South and like, right. it's very American focused. And I was kind of yeah. blown away by that. Yeah, they really romanticized the American life uh, over there. I wish we could have done more than three records, you know, because I mean, <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. You know, it'd be great to do a, a Kinks record and an Animals record and a Who record. And I'm sure we'll get to all those artists. And I know you guys have covered the, the Who and the, the Stones before, but there's just so much here. You know, you could even go into the 1970s and pull records from, from these guys. So yeah, just a, just a rich pool of, of music to, to, to sift through. Yeah, like we, I said earlier, what I learned was that these, some of these bands are just so freaking different from each other. Kind of like what happened in the 90s with grunge, where Soundgarden and Pearl Jam do not sound similar. They're different genres, but we put it in a in a bucket. Go, oh, that's grunge. Oh, that's that's British Invasion. And I didn't I hadn't really thought about that before. So I appreciated this and I agreed with Don. I wish we could have done like 15 records. <laughs> and that's one to grow on. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. All right, boys and girls. It's time once again to uh, spin the wheel of musical destiny. Let's see what fate has in store for us. Your musical destiny is to find albums with mind-blowing opening and closing tracks. 
Cheers. Tops and Tails. Albums with a strong opening track and closing track. It has to be terrible in the middle. Is that the deal? No. It, yeah. Let, let's shoot for stuff that has just awful stuff in the middle. Oh, and can we change the order? The track listen? <laughs> yeah, why not? Spotify does it. <laughs> the theme could be shit sandwich. Hey, there you go. <laughs> 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 that should be a fun one. Don't forget to vote for Alicia's Keys songs in A minor. Go to the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash discord, or our website, albumnerds.com, to uh, cast your ballots. You get uh, Alicia in or to hold her out. Exciting. What's your favorite album with strong opening and closing cuts? What else are you listening to? Let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcast at albumnerds.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Album Nerds. If you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you once again for listening to the Album Nerds podcast on this beautiful British invasion. Catch us next time where we'll talk about albums with great opening and closing tracks, or as I like to call it, tops and tails. <laughs> <laughs> Cheerio, Governor. Hello, goodbye, hello, goodbye, goodbye, Ruby Tuesday. There you go. There you go. Any other goodbye British songs? Bye, bye, bye. Oh, no, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs>